0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 9 of the Start Where You Are podcast. So now to say that it's been a minute between episode 8 and Episode 9 is a pretty significant understatement. So for context, today is November 16th, 2023, and the last podcast that I recorded was on May 29th, 2023. So I promise that there was a good reason for not having released a podcast in these last six months and I'm gonna talk about that today, and I'm also gonna talk about something that I know affects me, it affects a lot of my clients and a lot of people all over the world, and that's anxiety. So, gonna to touch on some specific tips and strategies that I've learned over the years to help manage anxiety, especially around the unknown. By the time July 26, 2023 rolled around, I'd been dealing with a pretty gnarly cough for the better part of 2 months. Now, I had gotten COVID for the very first time in April and I got over COVID and then in sometime in May I started I developed this very dry cough and and then I also noticed that it almost felt like I had phlegm in my in my lungs whenever I would lay flat. So in the morning, I felt like I would wake up with it. And then at night, it got to the point where I was uh, sleeping kind of propped up and then gradually more and more propped up. And so I did what anybody else would do. I went to the doctors because I didn't. I had had walking pneumonia in the past. And so I uh, went to the doctors. They told me it was bronchitis. That was in May. Uh, made a trip home to Pennsylvania. And one of the things that did happen when I was in Pennsylvania, this was in early June, was that I, I felt like I was having a hard time swallowing my food. I felt like something was kind of there, but I attributed it to, I don't know, like reflux or whatever. I mean, I had no idea, but I was taking Gas-X, I was taking pepsi I mean, I, I didn't, th- I will say that I briefly had a, a little bit of a niggle when that happened. But in the bigger context of things, um, when I was home in Pennsylvania, I had just attended the funeral of a, a former boss of mine who had passed away of cancer. And so I attributed my niggle that, oh, I wonder if this could be cancer to the fact that I had just attended a funeral with someone who died of cancer. Um, and so I did go to the doctors again when I was in Pennsylvania because the cough was so gnarly that it was upsetting to my parents. And I was like, okay, well, I I don't want this to be pneumonia. So let me go and have it checked out. So I, so I did. And uh, the doctor offered me a chest x-ray, but suggested that I didn't really need one. He said he didn't hear anything in my lungs. And as far as I was concerned, uh, it wasn't going to be pneumonia. And so that was fine. And so I just continued on. With this cough, with my life, I continued living my life the way anybody would, I think. You know, you're it, it was there, but you were just sort of living with it and making the best of it. So I was still working out. I mean, I noticed that when I was climbing a flight of stairs, it, it felt like, you know, I sounded like I had been a smoker for my entire life. It, it sounded like I had like a 10-pack-a-day habit. And yes, I was aware of this, but I didn't necessarily think a whole lot of it And in part, because I had had COVID, just about every symptom that I had uh, could be traced to potentially long COVID. So I just assumed everything I had was long COVID. So now in the midst of all this, I hadn't had a doctor for a very long time, despite being a health and fitness coach. uh, It had been many, many years since I had had a regular doctor. So this did prompt me to find a new doctor. So uh, she was a naturopath, so she did half regular medicine, but also can do sort of, tr- or I should say she did half traditional medicine, uh, but also a lot of the work that she did was homeopathic, which I really liked. So anyway, I went to see her in early July for the very first time and was like, yep, I've got this bronchitis. It's been hanging on. And so she gave me a tincture. And my description for the taste of the tincture is that if you – Um, got some sludge from the ocean, you fed it to a cow, the cow threw it up and then you put it in a bottle and, and, and took it. That's about what it tasted like. It didn't, it did not taste great. So, but I used it religiously the way that I was supposed to. And then I got to, I got to this point where I started wheezing and it was almost like asthma. When I, when I Googled asthma symptoms, uh, that's really what I was experiencing And once again, though, I Googled long COVID and asthma. And of course, because COVID hasn't been around that long, you could attribute many, many things to long COVID. And so once again, I thought, oh, wow, okay, so I just happen to be one of those people that have long COVID and I've developed asthma from it. Now, I was concerned enough at that point that I booked a follow-up with my new doctor and went to see her on Monday, July 24th. And what was really weird about that day, so I have a fitness watch. I have a Garmin fitness tracking watch that I've been wearing for three years. And I wear it 24-7 so they can track my sleep and everything. And that Monday when I went to see my doctor, um, I burned like 3,500 calories. I burned as many calories as if I had run a marathon. And all I had done that day was largely sat at my desk and gone to the grocery store. I hadn't done anything else. So you know, so I'm starting to think something's kind of up. So I go to the doctor. She sends me for a chest x-ray because she thinks she hears something. And then fast forward to Wednesday morning. I'm This is July 26. I'm going about my day. I get a phone call from my doctor. And she tells me that I need to go to the emergency room and have a CT scan. Now, what she had suggested that it was, um, was a pleural fusion. So that's a collapsed lung. So, on my way to the ER, and I, I'm, I'm panicked at this point, on my way to the ER, I call a friend of mine who is a nurse, and I ask her, like, what the deal is, and she's like, okay, it's a collapsed lung, and she's like, I can hear that you're having a hard time breathing, and I was like, well, this has sort of been my norm for quite some time at this point, point. and uh, so she, she she tells me what to kind of expect with, uh, with a collapsed lung. She's like, you're going to go to the ER, uh, they're going to pump it up. They might keep you overnight, et cetera, et cetera. So this is what I think I'm walking into. And I so I called my wife. I called Sheila. I uh, told her what was up. Like, I, I might need you to drive me home. I don't know. So I get to the hospital, and uh, and they check me in, and I should have known – Something was a little different because I check into the ER, they immediately put me in a Johnny and granted, they didn't know what was going on at that point, but I was like, oh, I thought I was just going to have a test and then move along my day. So so my anxiety is creeping a little bit here, but I'm like, okay, well, a collapse along whatever I can deal with that. At least I know what it is. At least I know it's going to get better. And, uh, and so I go for the CT scan and in the meantime, I'm sitting in this emergency room and And I was very fortunate to have my own room because the emergency room was busy enough that there were people out in the hallways in beds. So at least I was in a room. Sheila had decided to come. So she was sitting there and I was just doing work. I had my laptop on my lap. I mean, I I expected to wait. So I was just sitting there doing work. And then the doctor walked in and said, um, there is an opaque structure that we can see in your CT scan. And she said, it could be three things. I have no idea what she said the first two things were. But the third one was a malignant lymphoma. And I could hear Sheila, my wife, kind of suck in her breath a little bit. And I was just kind of stunned. I was, I think, too shocked to really think much of anything. So she she went on talking. She, she kept saying, I, words kept coming out of her mouth. And it was one of those situations where it was like, I see your lips are moving, but I don't exactly know what you're saying. And I didn't really steer too much away from my laptop. I just continued to kind of look at her, look back at my laptop to do work, look at her. And then she walked out of the room. And I remember looking at Sheila and saying, well, that's not what I expected. And Sheila more or less, you know, said the same thing. And at that point, I was still very much in shock. So the first thing that they tell me that is sort of a sticking point for me is that I'm not going to go home. They need to transfer me to a different hospital to do a biopsy. And I'm like, okay, so they say the word biopsy. So now, now this is landing a little bit more. Um, but one of the things that became really difficult, and I realize I'm giving a lot of backstory here, but the bulk of what I want to talk about is that that from that Wednesday to the following Thursday, so roughly eight days, was a whole lot of hurry up and Wait. And even though they were wanting to move me to a different hospital, so I live in the state of Maine, Uh, I live near the town of Brunswick, and that hospital isn't huge. They wanted to send me to the hospital in Portland, but there were no beds available. And so what happened for me is that that Wednesday, all day Thursday, and most of the day Friday, I was in the emergency room. And there wasn't much anybody could do for me or with me. They wouldn't send me home. I tried. But at that point... The cancer had caused basically tachycardia, so uh, my heart was racing. I mean, I it, it had an elevated heart rate, and uh, I tried to lobby to let them, you know, for them to let me go home, but they weren't having any of it. Uh, also, in the meantime, I developed a nasty migraine that they didn't want to treat with any kind of Excedrin because of my accelerated heart rate. So uh, it was it was a it was a long couple of days. But what happened repeatedly, over and over and over again. Was anxiety just kept creeping in because it was like, oh my goodness, like, what if, what if this is, what if this really is cancer? Um, and then I would, I would try to, you know, kind of send that off to the side and then it would come back again. What if this is really cancer? And what it became really difficult to do was to, I, I use the term and you, you hear this term all the time, but be where your feet are. Well, my feet essentially were propped up in a very narrow hospital bed in an emergency room and, you know, borderline rural Maine um, with the unknown. And the thing that I kept coming back to that I, I kind of almost meditated on that I started to find really helpful was I, I, I said, what do I know to be true right now? And granted, The unknown was really scary. But what I realized is that it was the unknown that was causing all of my anxiety. Because it's that it's that whole what if scenario, you go to the worst case scenario. And anybody who has followed my work for any, you know, length of time knows that I have a, an alter ego that I call worst case scenario, Wilma. And that's she comes out if um, if you're supposed to be at dinner, and you're 15 minutes late, and I haven't heard from you, I immediately go to the worst case scenario. That's that's my anxiety. And so that is, that's what I was really dealing with while I was sitting in that ER was that uh, going to that worst case scenario, but, but the anxiety was coming. And I hope this makes sense. The anxiety wasn't coming for, from the actual situation I was in at that moment. I know that might sound really weird to say, but what I started to do is I started to look around and say, okay, what do I know to be true right now? And what I knew to be true is that I was getting care. Um, the nurses, the nursing staff, the people that I was dealing with were were fantastic. Um, my wife was there. She was able to be present. I had access to my laptop so I could, I listened to and watched a lot of Bob Ross episodes. For those of you who remember, uh, the PBS show where Bob Ross paints, um, Bob Ross was definitely something that got me through my early days cause I was looking for something soothing, but I had access to that. I had access to music, um, even though I had a headache, I had access to this TheraGun that I could use uh, on my neck around my shoulders that was helpful. Um, I even had access to I like one of the things I like to do if I get a headache is use peppermint oil, so I had some peppermint oil in my bag. and And so, what I started to really do that helped me shift. And, and helped me bring my nervous system down to a different level because that's really what we're talking about is like when you get anxious, your nervous system gets all jacked up. You get in that fight or flight mode. And I was trying to find ways to kick on my parasympathetic nervous system. And what I found was that when I could name things, and sometimes it was a matter of naming them out loud. And some of you who have suffered from anx- anxiety in the past, maybe you've heard this particular technique. Where, if you're sitting somewhere and you know that you're anxious, you might choose a color and name out loud five different things that are that color around you. And then, if you're still anxious, you pick another color, or maybe you pick items. And so, what I was doing is saying, What do I know to be true right now? I know that I have X, Y, and Z. And I was able to, by naming those things out loud, even though I couldn't necessarily like it was great to have Bob Ross to listen to, but I couldn't always necessarily focus on Bob Ross. So then I would kind of step back. And it was really kind of pulling, pulling out and taking like a big, big bird's eye view of the situation. And again, saying, what do I know to be true right now? And I found that the more I practiced, and I didn't really have a choice, but to practice, because I was in this situation. But the more that I could practice, Answering that question, what do I know to be true right now? The more I was able to bring my nervous system down a couple of notches. Now, along with that, there was a lot of deep breathing um, and focusing on what was in front of me at the moment. So, those first three days in the emergency room, the focus was on okay, what's it gonna take for me to get a bed in another hospital? And I was lucky enough that I could text a friend of mine who worked at that hospital. And she was able to give me some updates, like, don't expect to get in tonight because this is what's going on. Like, So I was able to also get some information. So that was the second thing, was like working with the information. I guess that's similar to what I've said already, but um, using information as a way to help manage my anxiety. Um, and then essentially, by the time I got transferred to the Portland Hospital, uh, it was the weekend and nothing was really happening. Um, But I was in a room, my headache was gone. And even though I still had my elevated heart rate, even though I was waiting for a biopsy, I was waiting for a PET scan, um, I could continually come back to that question to say, okay, I know that I am getting the best care I can get right now. And so that was essentially, that is what helped me get to uh, when I finally got my diagnosis. So To tell the rest of the story, I guess, Paul Harvey, for those of you who remember that, but to tell the rest of the story, um, nothing happened for me really um, until that following Monday. So I went in the hospital on Wednesday and it wasn't until that Monday that I finally had um, I had a CT scan. So I had another CT scan, and then that Tuesday I had a PET scan, and then I also had a biopsy. Um, and then at that point, I thought I was actually going to go home. Uh, but at that point, the doctor came in and said, "No, there's there's fluid around your heart." So um, one of the What I ultimately was diagnosed with was something called primary mediastinal large B-cell lymphoma, which is a type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, I called it Gloria Steinem large B-cell lymphoma because I could not remember primary mediastinal, but essentially uh, that's what I was diagnosed with. And one of the symptoms of that type of cancer is that you get fluid around your heart and fluid around your lungs. And so I... I had the biopsy and then the doctor was like, No, we need to drain the fluid around your heart. And so that Wednesday morning, a week after my initial C T scan, um, I went down and I, I, I'm pretty sure the nursing staff didn't know what to make with me be make of me because when I went down I was like, Woo woo, what's up, mother? trucker. And they were like, Why are you so excited? And at that point, I was like, because something is happening. <laughs> I was pleased to know that things were moving forward. Um, but I woke up with not just a um, not just a a tube to drain the fluid around my heart, but also a chest tube, which is by far the most painful thing I have ever experienced in my life, they shoved a tube in between uh, my rib bones, and there wasn't a whole lot of space there. And so it was pretty painful. So By the time I got the actual diagnosis, um, A, there were a couple things that kind of happened. Um, I was flat on my back and completely stoned on medication uh, or on pain medication while it was being explained to me. But one of the transitions that had happened, and this is in terms of managing my anxiety, is that I went from hoping it wasn't cancer, so being like this couldn't possibly be cancer, to by the time I got to the Portland hospital, by the time I got to that Monday or Tuesday, it was like, okay, well… If it's cancer, it's lymphoma. Um, but if it's not, then we don't know what it is. And lymphoma had uh, some knowns. So I go back to managing anxiety with those knowns. And so by the time that Wednesday rolled around, and then that Thursday when I ultimately got the diagnosis, um, there was actually sort of a hope. I One of my doctors, one of the, he's a hospitalist there, uh, amazing guy, Dr. Rubin, give a shout out to him for any of you who know him, Cliff Rubin. Um, but he was basically like team lymphoma. Like it's kind of like this is what we want it to be. And, uh, and so anyway, so I got the diagnosis and I was given um, a lot of information. And then just to, to close the loop on this entire story, um, the word that he used that really I, I really hung on was that uh, curable. Um, so he did a great job laying out my treatment, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so for, for context, um, I am through five of my six rounds. Um, I will go in for my sixth round um, after Thanksgiving. And to this point, i I had a, a a PET scan after two rounds of treatment. The tumor was um, seven and a half inches. so one of the um one of the hallmarks of this type of cancer also is that it's a large tumor. It's in your chest cavity. It's not in your lungs. Um, and the tumor had shrunk. Uh, By 50% within after about two rounds. Um, And so, um, so signs are are pointing to good news. And I'll keep you posted, hopefully, as I continue to record podcasts, uh, talking about all kinds of different topics, but we'll keep you posted. Um, But anyway, the information that I was most focused on was the curable, so that this this particular type of cancer was curable. So that's kind of a long story. That's a lot of me talking. That's longer than I necessarily meant it to be. But, um, but the, the take-home point that I'm really trying to drive there is that um, managing my anxiety throughout all of this has been um, – managing anxiety is a skill. I think it's something that you learn how to do, and you have to expose yourself – to all kinds of different tools and things like that. And I do think doing some nervous system work is really important as well. And when I say that, what I mean is recognizing what state your nervous system is in, um, especially when you're anxious, um, but at different periods throughout the day, and then trying to get a sense of one of the reasons that that people often talk about practicing deep breathing is that deep breathing can help you get to your paras- kick on your parasympathetic nervous system, and that's that that little bit more of a relaxed state. So, um, so that's a couple different thoughts about at least some strategies that that I use during one of the most stressful periods uh, that I've had. One of the techniques I'm still using because I'm still dealing in unknowns. I won't be able to get a pet scan, another pet scan until uh, six weeks after my last treatment. So there's going to be a a good long period of time that's unknown there. And for me, it's going to be continuing to focus on, you know, where my two feet are and, uh, and what's in front of me. So thank you. If you made it to the end of this episode, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Uh, I hope anything in here was helpful. And as always, if you do find this kind of information useful, if you could give a follow for on whatever platform you happen to, uh, get your podcast on, that would be great. Uh, and if you like it enough to share, that would be cool too. So, but uh, thank you again for listening and I hope I have earned the privilege of your time.